0: Hello friends, and welcome to another episode of The Myth Pilgrim. Today promises to be a really fun cross-pollination between two characters, uh, two cultures, and two literary styles. I bet when you saw the title of this episode, you're probably like, what? What on earth does the Chinese legend of Mulan have to do with the Italian saint Catherine of Siena? Lawrence must be nuts, and you're probably right. But I'll let you confirm or renounce my nuttiness by the end of the episode. Initially, I made the connection between Catherine and Mulan because they both have rather dramatic hair cutting scenes at decisive moments in their lives. But the more I pondered on these women, the more I realised, hey, they actually have a lot of similarities, everything from personality down to vocation. So I thought, I will give this episode a go, and in any case, any excuse will do to grow deeper in love with Catherine of Siena, especially if you're already a fan of Mulan. I'll begin by giving you a sketch of the story of Mulan, or in Cantonese, Fa Mulan, which means magnolia flower. The story of Mulan dates back to the 6th century through a poem written by the poet Xu Wei. Like Robin Hood, historians cannot agree on whether Mulan is based on an actual historical person or not, but regardless, her legacy upon Chinese culture is indelible. For the most part, Walt Disney faithfully adapted its 1998 animated version of Mulan fairly well to Shu Wei's poem, though side characters like Mu Xu and the Lucky Cricket may not have been part of the original poem. oh, sorry guys. <laughs> By the way, I have a huge preference for Disney's animated version of Mulan over the recent movie version for a number of reasons like faithfulness to actual Chinese philosophy and culture, which they didn't do well in the movie and poor character development like and all that kind of stuff. But that aside, let's look at the story. Mulan is the only daughter of her loving father and mother, of whom she is very close. Having come of age, they try and marry her off through a matchmaker, but she botches it all up and feels like a misfit for doing so. Soon after, Some Imperial troops from the Emperor arrive in Mulan's village, announcing that a Hun army has breached the borders of China. In response, the Emperor issues a decree that every household in China must produce one male to be conscripted for the army. Because Mulan's father is the only male in their household, he volunteers for the army, much to the horror of Mulan, because her father is quite elderly, sick and otherwise unfit for war. Unable to talk him out of fulfilling his honor, she resolves to secretly take her father's place. And when no one is watching, she takes her father's sword, cuts off her hair to make her look like a man, and joins the local army regiment. Naturally, she doesn't fit in at first and others make fun of what appears to be a wimpy and weak boy. But through her compassion, her loyalty and intelligence, she eventually wins them over and becomes one of the lads. Then during a critical battle in the snowy mountains, where the Chinese are greatly outnumbered, Mulan saves the day through some quick thinking. Believing the enemy defeated, her regiment then leave for the capital city. But Mulan alone notices that the evil Hun leader, Shan Yu, has survived. She dashes back to the Imperial Palace, where Shan Yu is plotting an assassination of the Emperor himself. Mulan thwarts Shan Yu's plans and saves the Emperor's life. She returns to her parents in the village filled with honour and dignity. This lowly misfit daughter has saved Imperial China. So that's the story of Mulan in a nutshell, minus a hint of a love interest between Mulan and her general Li Shang. Okay, in a similar way, let me now recount the story of Catherine of Siena. As I do so, see if you can already notice some parallels between the life of these two women. Catherine is born in 1347 in Siena, Italy. She is the daughter of a wool-dye merchant, and when she comes of age, her father tries to marry her off to her late sister's husband, which was the custom back then. But she refuses to just follow this social norm, and cuts off all her hair in protest, which apparently makes her less likely to be marryable. Her life direction, like Mulan, is also dominated by a single man. For Mulan, it was her beloved father, and for Catherine, her beloved prince, Jesus, whom she felt solely dedicated to even as a young girl. Catherine is also different from other women, because at a youngish age, she had already felt her beloved call her to an exclusive life of prayer and penance. After much resistance from her family, her father finally allows this and Catherine is allowed to live alone inside a little cell attached to the family house. During this time, a great threat is brewing on the horizons, not only for Italy, but for the entire Holy Roman Empire. The 14th century church was already in ruins, corroded by decades of corrupt popes abdicating from Rome to Avignon in France, where politics had undermined the cardinals and the church authority. Schism was brewing. Owen oh, adds to this the physical and spiritual decimation of the Black Plague, which happened during Catherine's lifetime. Against her own prediction, at 19 years old, she is suddenly called out of a cell by the Lord and into public ministry, into a world dominated by men. Though shunned at first, her genuine love and compassion for the victims of plague, her insistence on burying all the dead with dignity, and her practical care for widows, wins the hearts of many. Fueled by the fiery love of Jesus through her years in the cell, her preaching and conviction inspires military leaders, priests, bishops and politicians to listen to her, and even to seek her counsel. Some even called her Mama, even though she would only have been in her twenties and was otherwise uneducated. She even influences the Pope of her era, Gregory XI, through much dialogue and many letters ultimately telling the Pope to get his act together, lead the Church properly, and to go back to Rome. The Pope finally agrees, ending finally the decades-long Babylonian captivity of the Popes in Avignon. Later in life, she writes her famous Dialogues, which outlines some of her intimate and mystical experiences with Jesus, and spells out her doctrine of the inner cell. She dies at the age of 33 due to poor health, and today she is the patron saint of Europe. Okay, so did you see some of the similarities between Mulan and Catherine? We'll home in now on a few. The first will be their non-conformity to social conventions, and I mean this in the best possible sense. Neither Mulan or Catherine fit the mould of women of their times, nor could you easily categorise them to be like so-and-so. Yet already, there is an essential Christian truth to be highlighted here. Jesus never really fit in either, nor could he be categorised to belong to this group or that sect. To be a follower of Christ, then, is by definition to be different, to not fit in, and to be set apart from the world. Which, incidentally, is actually the strictest definition of the word holy. Holy means something that is set apart for God. Holiness doesn't just mean reverence and piety or living a moral life. It includes all these things. But to truly live set apart for God and His purposes. A Christian's obedience is to God first and foremost above all other legitimate authority in their lives. And if Jesus' own life is any example, obedience to God may well inspire values that could be conceived as counter-cultural. After all, Jesus taught that the first shall be last, the last shall be first, the persecuted shall be blessed, enemies shall be forgiven, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Try living this out in the workplace or in your sports club, and you realize very soon how counter-cultural the gospel is. Now, this is not at all saying that the values of the world are necessarily in opposition to the gospel, but it is saying that an unexamined following of our culture's values should be avoided. How does all this manifest in Catherine of Siena's life? Well, at the age of six, Catherine had already felt the Lord was setting her aside in a special way. She recounted to her confessor, Raymond of Capua, How she once saw above a church as a little girl, Christ seated in glory with the apostles, and vowed at that point to consecrate her entire life to God. So as a young woman, when she cuts off her hair in defiance to marrying, you'd think she meant to enter the religious life as a nun. That would be the normal thing to do, right? No, not for Catherine, because she had a heart to practically care for the sick and the poor, even though the Lord would not honour this desire within her just yet. Instead, he invites her to spend three years living in the cell, in the life of the mantalatte, which might be understood as a sort of third order Dominican. In this time, between the ages of 16 and 19, she developed a deeper love for Jesus, culminating in what she would later describe as a mystical marriage, in which Jesus espouses himself to her with a ring invisible to others. She would continue to refer to this state of mystical marriage as the inner cell of the soul, which would always sustain her, even while she was busy and active outside her physical cell. Okay, so already at this point, you can see how Catherine's life is rather unorthodox, even when compared to other women saints, many of which were either consecrated nuns or living a normal lay life. The Lord is always doing a new thing and breaking new ground. For who would have thought that an uneducated young woman living in a cell would soon be plunged into the very heart of social, religious and state politics? Remember, this was about 500 years before the women's emancipation movements in the last century. To get a sense of how her contemporaries would have received a woman who dared to speak out in public, look at the drama of Mulan. Look at how many times she got told to know your place and to maintain your honour. Consider how Mulan's warnings were ignored by even her regiment simply because she was a woman and had no status in the army. Yet, this was the world Catherine of Siena was born into and worked in. But God paved a way for her, for he always uses the most unlikely candidates to accomplish his will. Today, we still have 380 letters to dignitaries that Catherine wrote through her scribe, as well as records of her visits to bigwigs in Florence, Pisa and Lucca, where she preached repentance and sought to mediate between political factions. Along with convincing Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome, she is even credited for mobilising a crusade in the defence of the Turkish seizing of the Holy Lands, So Catherine certainly made her mark in Europe. So profound is her spiritual legacy that she is one of only four female doctors of the church, along with St. Theresa of Lisieux, St. Hildegard of Bingen and St. Teresa of Avila. Okay, the second parallel between Mulan and Catherine is their rising to the defence of their respective empires. For Mulan, this feature is very obvious in the role she plays in defending Imperial China from the Hun invasions. You could even say that as the story progresses, Mulan's salvific sphere expands. It begins with her sparing her father, then her army regiment, then her general, and finally the emperor, who by extension means the entire imperial china. Certainly, she is credited for doing this by the emperor himself, who bestows upon her the late general's sword and the imperial medallion. But is Catherine of Siena's influence any less significant? Well, let's have a look and I'll let you decide that. Consider firstly that Catherine's contribution wasn't just merely in the defence of her home country, Italy, but the defence of the entire peoples of the Holy Roman Empire. The church in 14th century Europe wasn't just an optional devotion for the pious on Sundays, it was the very fabric, law and organising principle of European life. During her lifetime, the church was already shaken by the Black Plague, which, not unlike COVID today, decimated any form of community life. Clerics and religious living in orders, monasteries and convents were especially hard hit. While existential questions about death and damnation and the wrath of God were running rampant, priests and bishops at this time were at a loss with how to care for their flock. But as you probably picked up earlier, this wasn't the worst of the crises of the church. The greatest threat to the church was internal corruption, a threat which undermined the church's very moral and teaching authority. By the time Catherine was born, lines of popes and cardinals had been under the thumb of the French monarchy for nearly 70 years, abandoning Rome and residing in the French city of Avignon. And whenever politics dictates the conscience of the church, dissent and schism are not far behind. It took Catherine three months in the summer of 1376 to convince Pope Gregory to follow the vows he had made to God and to return to Rome. We still have many of the letters she dictated to Gregory, saying things like, I beg of you, on behalf of Christ crucified, that you are not a timorous child, but manly. Open your mouth and swallow down the bitter for the sweet. Gosh. In another letter, she writes, May ardour of charity be in you, so as to prevent you from hearing the voice of incarnate demons, and heeding the counsel of perverse counsellors, settled in self-love, who, as I understand, want to alarm you, so as to prevent your return, saying, you will die. No, instead, up, Father, like a man, For I tell you that you have no need to fear. Gosh, what a woman! You'd hardly find anyone today writing so directly to Pope Francis, let alone a woman back in medieval times. But such is her zealous love for the Church, a Church she was willing to defend for her beloved Jesus. And this is why, along with being an honorary doctor of the Church and patron saint of Europe, Catherine is also the patron saint of the Church in Crisis. St. Catherine pray for us, especially in places today where the moral authority of our church has been compromised. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you'd like to be notified by email every time a new episode is released, hop onto the website at themythpilgrim.com to register. You know, with all our talk of Catherine being a nonconformist and a zealous defender of the church, you'd think her to be some kind of loud and outspoken crusader. But this doesn't seem to fit squarely with the historical accounts of Catherine at all, nor her writing styles. Like Mulan, Catherine's influence over others wasn't simply won through her might and intelligence and wit, but through the tenderness of her compassion and her love. This is where the two women share the third similarity – because looking back at Mulan, you could also say that her entire mission was founded upon love. Love for her father, her general and her country. Mulan didn't set out to be a national hero, but simply to honour this simple love. Note that many times that Mulan alone was able to demonstrate compassion for Li Shang, like when he loses his father during the war. I also love the scene when Mulan's regiment discovers a town decimated by the Huns, and it is Mulan alone who hangs back to grieve the doll of a slain child. In the same way, Catherine of Siena was a woman whose fire sprang from love rather than anger. She grieved the state of the church more than she condemned it. As the old maxim says, If you're going to preach against sinners, you must first be willing to weep over them. Profound. How often is our stance towards sinners coming from a place of judgment rather than grief? Catherine is a good example to us in this regard. While those who write history might suggest her greatest contribution lies in her political influence, perhaps from heaven's eyes, her care for the poor, the victim of plague, confused souls, lost sheep, might be even greater. The real heart of Catherine is evident by looking at her life before she became famous. During the Black Death, when most people skilled at medicine had run away in fear, Catherine stayed behind and worked tirelessly all day and all night. Her prayers resulted in many miraculous healings, and there are even accounts she raised the dead. Her generosity also inspired her to give away possessions from her own family home without her family knowing. Such was the heart of Catherine. And on top of all of this, she was known to have taken on serious fasts and penances for the salvation of souls. Penances she refused to relent from, even when she was very ill. Some suggest her extreme penances hastened her own death, though what we do know is that in her final weeks she was unable to eat. She died at 33 years old, with a peaceful countenance on her face, soon to be united fully with her beloved prince, whose love had permeated every fibre of Catherine's life. So there we have it, our episode on Mulan and Catherine of Siena. So, was I nuts to try and write this episode? Uh, Yeah, probably a little still, but at least you got to know Catherine's story a little bit better. And that can't be a bad thing. So today's practical pilgrim exercise focuses on the idea of charisms. Unique spiritual gifts that the Lord bestows upon each of us for the upbuilding of his kingdom. Perhaps the most well-known Catherine of Siena quote is... Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Perhaps there's a unique charism the Lord has planted in you that you've thus far been afraid to reveal to the world? Bring this into prayer, and if you have an inkling of what this hidden charism might be, find practical means to activate it. Do not be afraid of how unorthodox or strange it might be, because if you look at the example of Catherine, non-conformity may just be the path you need for holiness. Okay, friends, I'll leave it at that. Until next time, journey forth, take care, and God bless.